Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 165. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Half for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Rich, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack and Little Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and the Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Long title Looking for the Good Times Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down on his songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family savings on a multi-speed tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. It changed the fortunes for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, Format Film, and The Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. You can now order my latest book, the TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books, please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I now have three super articles to write for Back Issue, Super Richie, Super Dagwood, and Super Fan. My Pac-Man book is the next to be coming out, and I'm still working on my Mad and Turtles books. 
Warren Kremer is due out eventually, as is my next Disney book. On today's show, we have an actor, a teacher of comedy, and a historian and author who has co-written a great book called The Annotated Abbott and Costello, which is due out later this year. Here he is, Nick Santamaria. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and it's yet another Fun Ideas podcast. And today I have on the show with me, Mr. Benny Biffle. I mean, um, I told you I'd forget your name. No, no, no. All right. No, Mr. Nick Santamaria. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you, Mr. Arnold? I'm doing well, too. Um, So I found out from your Facebook page that you're doing an Abbott Costello book. Now, is it out or is it delayed or what's the story on that one? Because it seemed like it was going to be out last year and it's still not out. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, COVID COVID got in the way of it being released last year. Uh, And then this year, you know, we submitted the book completely finished uh, beginning of this year. And Matthew Conium, my co-author, warned me since he's worked with McFarland Press Mm -hmm before um he says they're very slow they're very methodical uh but this is slower than most and it's not coming out now until november of 2022 so it'll be fall this year close to winter (laughs) and uh i just hope uh people enjoy it i hope it's it's it was worth the wait you know i mean for some reason i thought it was already out and then i was looking to order it and and it said november 5th 2022 on amazon Mm -hmm. and i said well, <laughs> well, uh, we woke up to news that we were number one. We were number one today in interest in uh, okay. comedy books about comedy. We were number one. Now, mm-hmm. I'll probably add, I'm, I'm going to do this a little differently because usually I ask all your life story, but I've heard uh, other pod- podcasts and you kind of did that on other podcasts. But if we get into it, we get into it. But um, mm-hmm. I was kind of curious about the Abbott and Costello story because, yeah, like you said on other ones, they're kind of like the low men on the totem pole. It's like three stooges, everybody seems to know. Then it's like Laurel and Hardy. And then even like Martin and Lewis, Cheech and Chong. And then you kind of get through, you know, well, <laughs> Chris the, Farley the and uh, David Spade. And then you finally get to like <laughs> Abbott and Costello. It's like they're like under the also rants. Biffle and shoot. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, uh, the truth of the matter is the main reason we wrote the book, and I speak for Matthew also when I say this, we prefer Abbott and Costello to Laurel and Hardy. Me, uh, a, a slightly smaller margin than Matthew, because I love Laurel and Hardy. But my New York clock, I grew up in the tri-state area, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. Uh, we grew up with Abbott and Costello every Sunday morning. And I was exposed to all of these guys. But I have to tell you, from a, the early age, Laurel and Hardy were just like a snail pace. They were, it was the slowest comedy. You know, <laughs> everything was so methodical and set up and you knew what the gag was going to be. And I didn't know then what they were doing. That was in the that point. Sense, though. <laughs> because, exactly. As I got older, I realized what the pacing problems were, that it was television. You know, these things were built for movie theater audiences. So they did move slowly. You wanted to leave room for the laughs. But uh it was just so deadly slow for me. I wanted the Stooges. I wanted Abbott and Costello. I wanted the Marx Brothers. All these guys were running around on my New York time clock. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, our, uh, so we grew up really loving the films. 
of Abbott and Costello. I know some Abbott and Costello fans say, oh, no, it's the television show. I just like the television show. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a big fan of the television show. I think it's I think yeah. it's kind of slipshod. It looks, it, you know, they, it looks like they threw it together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the first season, that was great. It was a lot of fun. The second season, I, I can't even get through. Mm. I prefer their uh, Colgate Comedy Hour shows when they're working live. You know, yeah. that's when you really see them come alive. But the movies, the movies have gotten, you know, outside of a few, uh, critically ignored. Uh, when people are talking seriously about comedians, they seldom come up. Uh, even back in the day, uh, comedians like Jack Benny and Milton Berle and people like that would make jokes about them because they didn't really respect them. They thought they were lazy. They thought they were taking, they were taking routines that were older than they were and, you know, making it their own and blah, 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 blah. My point is, <laughs> I have to say that nobody did those routines better. They, they were preserved for all time, whereas they would have disappeared completely. Um, and just try to watch somebody else do who's on first or, or right. seven times 13 or any of the great routines. And it should tell you how great they are. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just the routines. Lou was a great actor. Lou was, Lou was, Lou could have been as big as any of the silent movie comedians, any of the great silent movie comedians. He was that good a physical comedian, as well as being a great verbal comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, Bud was probably the greatest straight man in history. Uh, at least recorded history. And um, although I don't think Bud was always necessary to the team, I know that sounds blasphemous, but in some of the movies, his part could have been played by anybody, any good fast talking actor. Uh, But Lou, you know, Lou could carry a picture on his own. He was that good. He was Mm -hmm. that good. Watch him. He's just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Of course he did one on his own so like <laughs> the 50 foot bright i can't oh yeah i mean rock, yeah. but yeah i know what you i know what you mean yes, yeah yeah um, <laughs> but yeah i mean you can watch you can watch little giants or time of their lives and yeah. you see a great comedian working on st- on, on that in front of that camera you see a great comedian right yeah and as well as a great act so now, and here's my point here's here's my point when i say great act i want to back this up when you watch who's on first voted the greatest comedy routine of all time Mm -hmm. when you watch who's on first think of the premise it's the most ridiculously contrived premise on earth you know there are actually ball players by the name of who and what and i don't know and tomorrow and it's the most ridiculous premise you believe it every time because they put as much commitment into it as olivier did hamlet and and brando did stanley kowalski they're Mm -hmm. acting it and and you believe every word Right. So there you go. And I agree with that. It's like on anything, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, Father Ted, British TV series, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. but there's mm-hmm. one episode where, and this is kind of like in a who's on first vein, there's one episode where there's this little piece of black tape stuck on the window. Right. And it's just there to set up what happens later. And I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Just no, don't, don't say it. But yeah. it's the same premise as who's on first. It's like, it mm-hmm. wouldn't make any sense unless uh, Bud says, oh, all these uh, baseball players have nicknames, you know, yeah. funny names, funny you know, names. stuff yeah. like that. If you didn't say that line, yeah, you're right. It's uh-huh. like, the, the skit would fall flat. It's like, what is Lou an idiot? I mean, well, he is sometimes. But, <laughs> well, he is an idiot. But, 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 you know, it's like it would the skin would fall flat if it didn't have that basic premise, which you're, yes. you're right. It didn't didn't necessarily make sense. I mean, there were some Dizzy Dean, I guess. So they did use 
threw those out there, but it wasn't really predominant in baseball as much as he acted like. So, you know, especially when they did the skit originally by the forties and stuff, um, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I guess and later they on, just, they must have been hunter or something, but anyway, <laughs> from what I understand, when they went to England to play the palladium, mm-hmm. England didn't know baseball. Mm-hmm. So they had to, they had to restructure it. And from what I, from what Chris Costello tells me, uh, they use the orchestra members. Oh, okay. Yeah, strange as it may seem, they give musicians nowadays funny names. For instance, the tuba player is who, the you know, whatever. And they they worked it that way, and it worked. Yeah, I thought they might switch it to cricket or something. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, you know? no, because the rules wouldn't apply. It just didn't. Oh, it true. didn't work. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, didn't Abbott and Costello? I, I'm, you know, a little brain dead tonight. Uh, didn't Abbott and Costello do like variations on that theme also along the way that weren't quite as good, but they were still like who's on first type things. I know they did a lot of verbal interplay, but yeah, you know, were they trying they, to recapture the who's on first thing? And it's like everything else, lightning only strikes in the bottle once. You know, you know. No, that's a like good that. question. Yeah. That's a that's a good question. Basically, no. What they do, what they did was, and their modus operandi is uh, the fact that it's it's based on vaudeville uh, immigrant humor. That's where Abbott and Costello come from. Uh, Originally minstrels, minstrel shows, uh, people, uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Mistaking certain words for other words, not understanding what the straight man is saying, turning it into a big routine. That was all minstrel shows in the mid 1800s. This is what Abbott and Costello was doing in the 1940s. This is why other right. comedians were saying, what are they doing? These guys are the most popular comedians in the world right now. And they're doing routines I saw when I was a kid, you know, from other people. So uh, basically what they did was they took the immigrant uh, thing that was happening in vaudeville, usually the Germans, you know, was you dare Charlie? Oh, you know, this must be the praise. It was all based on immigration, on, on uh, immigrants not understanding the rules. So Abbott and Costello were a, 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 a uh, they grew out of that, that, that arrangement. Dumb guy, smart guy, the guy who knows everything and maybe wants to get a little extra out of the dumb guy. And the dumb guy being so dumb that he outwits the smart guy. Mm-hmm. so it's it's very it's very based in that Mm -hmm. you look frozen yeah you look frozen no you come back so if we just keep going here you know if i have to edit something out i'll do it later anyway (laughs) and if you really freeze out well you'll jump out and come back in i've seen it happen before but you know it's like usually my connection is pretty good but anyway um, (laughs) i'm gonna jump out and come back um I know you mentioned, and I have to say this just because you're already in hot water Uh-oh. on Three Stooges, maybe. Uh-oh. It's like, yeah. <laughs> don't don't yeah. don't don't uh take the cut cut the subject out. no you you say that curly howard of three stooges is only good for about like a, a film and a half i mean i I'm am sorry curly's not my favorite either he's actually my second favorite i like shemp much better but uh i'm more of a shemp fan too yeah so but uh and i had an argument with somebody once it's like well shemp wasn't the original one and i go yeah he was actually oh, yes, he was <laughs> <laughs> you know anyway <laughs> um, homework, pal. yeah we used yeah. to have arguments but some people really like curly but what i wanted to say about curly not really how you said a comment but this is about him but it more that you watch Three Stooges enough, you watch Abbott and Costello enough, they do similar routines. 
So there's mm-hmm. like the one with the clam and the bowl and right, you know right. Costello or Curly is like trying to open it up and squirts in his face and stuff like that. The, so, oy- the oyster stew. Yeah. And then uh, what was the other one that they always do? Well, Niagara Falls. It seems like everybody does Niagara Falls. And it's like everybody does Niagara Falls. So yeah, even Betty Biffle. Even Betty Biffle. <laughs> so are there I mean, obviously they weren't copyrighted because I don't think there are any lawsuits about this. I know Mo Howard was a little bit disgruntled that he thought, you know, Costello was stealing from Curly, and of course Costello was kind of upset. He's so that, full of it. You know, can I just dispel that rumor right sure, now? Sure. <laughs> okay, forget that. Everyone who's listening right now, forget that. It's bull. Like most of Mo's book is bull. Um, uh, first of all, Lou Costello. Uh, got into burlesque in 1929 before curly was a member of the three stooges there's no way there's no way uh is curly i let me put it this way lou got there first and i have to tell you his <laughs> reviews from 1929 his very first uh, year were glowing he had it from the very beginning so mo howard poke i'm poking your eyes I'm poking your eyes there no. you go mo Start telling the truth, Mo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll switch it to you because this is, kind of a lead, this is kind of a lead into one of the many, 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 many things you do. You're a, a film historian teacher. You, you teach film comedy history, and it's called For the Love of Comedy History. Um, you can explain that, but also, where did it, when did it happen in your life that it went from, I'm just enjoying these films, to I can say a few things about this, and I'm a knowledgeable <laughs> scholar about them. <laughs> Maybe you don't. <laughs> I'm an obsessive moron. Um, basically, uh, wait. The, fa- <laughs> the first question, wait, was uh, um, what was it again? The first talk question. about talk about talk about questions. your um, for the love of comedy history uh, course. Where oh, okay. Says, my class, my class is called yeah. it's called for the love of laughter, and uh, it's only one of my classes. Right oh, now, okay. I'm uh, start, uh, right now I'm teaching a class called Murder, Mayhem, and Monsters: The Golden Age of the Horror Film. Mm-hmm. I teach one about the history of the musical film. I teach one about the history of TV variety. I teach one about live television comedy from the '50s. I teach a lot of courses via Zoom, just like this. Mm-hmm. I was doing it in person when I lived in Los Angeles, but now uh, things have changed, and I'm home. So. Uh, yeah, I, I love teaching. I love it more than anything. Uh, I like writing too. You know, I've been a performer for it's going on forty eight years, mm-hmm. and I find teaching much more satisfying than performing. It's it's amazing. It's so much fun. I love sharing this stuff with people. Uh, and the other thing, your other question, how did this become an obsession with yeah, you? Yeah, more than just uh, basically uh, watching this for entertainment value yeah. or not. <laughs> 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 well, there's actually a very, it's kind of a, a, a family story. Um, when I was very, very young, uh, I felt I was the third son. So like Groucho felt with Minnie, uh, often neglected, uh, not especially appreciated, uh, feeling a little unloved. And uh, so I would hear my parents uh, downstairs in the kitchen when they would have uh, friends over. And they were all contemporaries, all around the same age. And they always uh, found themselves talking about the movies they loved when they were young. And especially the comedies, because they would laugh and they'd talk about scenes they remembered uh, when they met Eddie Cantor and this and that. 
And I would listen. I would sit upstairs and I'd listen. And I realized that was my key. That was my way in to uh, being more appreciated by my parents, basically. So it became, it was like a family thing with me. It was, it was actually quite uh, planned out. It was quite uh, premeditated, but it got out of hand because I feel, I felt like, oh, I have to know everything about this. I have to learn everything. And it turns out that it, it backfired on me because they looked at me like I was a freak at that yeah. point. <laughs> my, fa- my father called my bedroom the morgue because of all the, the pictures I had of dead comedians everywhere. Oh, wow. okay. So so it became crazy. I just became, I read everything I can get my hands on. I watched everything I can get my hands on. And slowly but surely, I became this walking encyclopedia. Mm. It's, it's weird. And my whole life, I heard, oh, all that useless information in your head. It's not useless. I'm using it. Um, in yeah. fact, I'm making my living on it, you know? Well, so. Same with me. I mean, I write books, uh, not necessarily about comedians, but comic books, animation, music, and other things. So, but, yeah. you know, uh, the it's only reason I don't... satisfying thing. Yeah. The, the only reason I don't touch, like, subjects like Abbott and Costello, it's not like I couldn't. It's just mm-hmm. that there's other people doing it. And it's like, I don't really want to go into a field where everybody else... Because some of these people, I hate to say, not yourself, but, you know, they're like didn't you do your research or, you know, it's like, but if I'm navigating and doing original research, it's like, there's nothing much to compare to, you know, <laughs> and sometimes people be like the Mo Howard situation. Like you said, they'll say, didn't you know, Mo Howard said this, and it turns out to be false. And you know, uh-huh. you're getting any of the arguments about it. Whereas right. you're maneuvering something kind of unique, you know, you can kind of call your own shots somewhat, but I'm not, no, adverse. Exactly. I'm not adverse to doing it, but it's like, I like, uh, that the fact that you're doing that, otherwise, somewhere along the line, I'd probably do an Abbott and Costello book. So, so you know what it is. You know what yeah. it is. Mark? I I find that with Abbott and Costello, the last truly great book about them was done in the mid '90s. Yeah, by uh, Bob Fermanek and uh, and uh, Palumbo, Ron Palumbo. Hmm. I don't um, even know if I have. I'll show you the ones I have. Um, okay, show me what you these have. Are, these are the ones that be- made me a fan even though I really only saw things like Frankenstein and maybe a couple others, because they didn't show them that often on TV when I was a kid. Um, oh, really? My dad, my dad would talk about them, you know, and it wasn't until the video age where they kind of made it nice and easy where they put like eight, yeah. d- eight films on a DVD set and stuff like that, where it's like, uh-huh. then I became obsessive that way. It's like, I want Rio Rita. It's not on this set. I want, I want dance with me, Henry. It's not on this set. So I had to get all of them, you know? So anyway, so do you know how many copies of Abacus Old Me Frankenstein I have? Because it's on, it's in every Frankenstein collection, every Dracula collection, oh, every wow. Wolfman collection. And I have all of those, you know? Oh, wow. anyway, so I must have about seven <laughs> But show me the books you I have. I think I have two copies. I have the Abin Costello collection. And then when the Blu-ray came out of Meet Frankenstein. I had I to have the Blu-ray. I got the Blu-ray. So. <laughs> anyway, so this is the, the old Jimmy classic. Mahalo. Yeah. Jim Mahalo. And it came out yeah. right in a yellow paperback that was smaller. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. So I have the same one. book. I had the yellow paperback first. I still have it, but I couldn't dig it out today. Yeah. I figured yeah. it's the same book. But That's uh, a very good book. Very yeah. good book. And so this is the one that said, wow, they did a lot of films. I didn't know they did this many because the way they talk about it, you know, to the novice fan, you know, oh, they did, uh, 
who's on first buck privates uh frankenstein and a tv and show it. and that's about it you know <laughs> and and it's like then you find out wow they did like 30 films or something more they did more than elvis you know it's like well that was yeah, a lot right. of films you know so <laughs> but you know it's interesting it, along those lines not to interrupt but uh, uh i am uh matthew conium writes in his intro to our book he said that uh after he finished his book, The Annotated Marx Brothers, I'm giving a plug for him. It's an excellent book. Yeah. Um, he he loves Abbott and Costello just, you know, as almost as much as he does the Marx Brothers. And he wanted to do the same treatment for Abbott and Costello, but he was too lazy to do all 38 films. So we thought, who could I get in touch with that I could split them up? So we're each doing like 19 films each. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay. So, yeah anyway well so, they do have a lot more films than the marx brothers i mean if you're being generous oh, i think God, they have three times three times as yeah many. 13 yeah. films and then a tv special and maybe if you want to count <laughs> story mm-hmm. of mankind or something you know um you know i don't know but yeah there's, you, you yeah one person could pretty easily tackle it strangely enough there's far more marx brothers books i don't know if that's the reason because you know or it might be because you know Groucho wrote a few books, Harpo wrote a book, uh, you know mm-hmm. things like that. So and yeah. fortunately Groucho had the good sense to live longer than most of these other people. <laughs> so yeah, know. the good sense to yeah. Yeah, uh, um, I love two things about Groucho. Number one, in um, the Marsh by the Scrapbook, mm-hmm. one of the chapters opens with him saying, "Oh, I was just visiting Jimmy Durante. Boy, I, I told his his wife, uh, you better start praying because this guy's not going to live very long." <laughs> you know and then uh later on he, he he met charlie chaplin charlie chaplin came to no this was earlier and chaplin kept telling him stay warm groucho stay warm the funny thing is they both outlived him right. <laughs> groucho, right. groucho died before either one of them you yeah, know yeah. uh and i was kind of happy about that when it came to durante because that was a terrible thing to say to say mm. to anybody you know yeah. oh your husband's not gonna be around very long Mr. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what other books do you have okay so the other one this one's actually amazingly hard to find the one everybody mm-hmm. has is by a duck it seems like that you can find anywhere the grouch of marx one or the marx brothers one this is the who's on first one i mean you see a little piece out up here and stuff like that stick me ever to it. find this yeah but you know um, i like i like the forward by carol burnett yeah yeah i like it it's good and I wish he did a second one just because he did more than one on Marx Brothers and he did more than one on W.C. Fields, I believe. And, um, you know, but he got involved yes. in doing other photo novels of other movies and stuff. I know where, you yeah. know, he had to go where the money went. Alien. So, yeah. yeah. Alien and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then silly thing, videotape destroyed those type of books. But I love this type of book where you can, you know, to this day, I love pouring over the pictures because. Oh, sure. You know, you know, you can freeze frame it on your TV, you know, of course, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's more fun yeah. to just like, oh, you know, hey, I, I noticed, oh, here's Shemp, you know, it's like, you know, or something like yeah. that, you know, you know. <laughs> the lemon bit. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. so those so are the those two, the two I books have. you have. Yeah, so I don't know how many more. Okay. I was trying to look on Amazon and I didn't see any others, so I don't know. If, well, know. I'm not sure if Bob Furmanek's and Ron Palumbo's book is still available. I know it's out, of, it's been out of well these are out of print so (laughs) it's it's an amazing (laughs) it's an amazing book an amazing book uh when i first was approached to do this abbott and costello book the first thing i thought was we're never going to top that book Hmm. but i got news for you (laughs) i think we're i think we're pretty close i think we're pretty close i think it's a good book i really do 
And that leads to another question. Obviously, you can't interview either of them, but somewhere in your lifetime, did you meet Bud Abbott or possibly Lou Costello or no? I, I wish I I wish I could say I, I did, but I didn't. Okay. I was born, uh, actually, Lou died March 3rd, 1959. Mm -hmm. I was born March 31st, 1959. Wow. So <laughs> when people see me as Benny Biffle, they're always thinking, I wonder if he was reincarnated as you. And <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just another Italian comedian. Uh, but uh, no, and Bud passed away when I was 15. So I, I lived on the East Coast. There was no way to get there. I, you know, I, it, it was an awkward time for me. I wanted to meet Groucho too, but I was too young, you know, when he passed away. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I missed a few people. I met a lot of people, met a lot right. of good people, mm -hmm. but not that. I, wish I, I, do, I do remember when Abbott died, but I didn't know much about it. And then in that uh, aforementioned Richard and Noble book, he said he did talk to him and then he had a fall or a stroke or something yeah, and unfortunately never talked to him again. But, you know, yeah. the, the, the classic part before is like, why do you want to do this book? Who cares? You know, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially what he's <laughs> saying. It's like Zeppo. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, somebody cares. You got two people here that care, you know. <laughs> But I get it, you know, it, would, it wouldn't be Bud Abbott if he wasn't a bit of a curmudgeon. So it's like, you know. Certainly, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Strange as it may seem, they give curmudgeons crazy names. Nicknames, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh, what do you think of the one? Anyway, I'm, I'm no. sure you've heard this over the years, the credibility gaps take on it where they use rock groups in place of the ball. Oh, yeah, players. yeah, yeah. The, the first people to do that actually was SCTV. Uh, they did uh, Abbott and Costello hosting the Midnight Special, the rock and roll show oh, yeah. that used to be on every Friday <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah. And they did the whole thing with Yes and The Who and, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. And that was the first time I ever heard that. But that was years ago. That was yeah, years yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. Funny stuff. I love the one that Johnny Carson did about Reagan. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Yasser. Yasser. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny. It was very funny stuff. Yeah, the, the, my favorite part of that one is where the, he holds up the phone and goes, "Mr. Reagan, Mr. President, who's on the phone?" And he goes, "Well, I don't know who's on the phone." <laughs> well, well, why are you asking me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was a very funny version of it. Very funny. It worked. Um, I forgot about I that one. So I have friends that prefer those versions because the setup is less contrived. You know what I mean? You actually can believe these things rather than people named who and I don't know, and, you know, whatever. But uh, nobody gives it what Avon Costello give it. And that's yeah. what sells it. And that's the beauty of it. Um, but anyway, yeah. There's one version uh, of who's so on yeah, first. Get ready for a new okay. The, yeah, the, yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say there's one version of who's on first. And of course they did. I don't know. How many times did they perform that to your knowledge? Oh, it must have been at least 10,000 times. Yeah. And it was never done the same way. No. It's never done the same way. <laughs> but there's That's one version that they tend to play more, but it's I think it's a radio version or something like that because it's not it's not mm -hmm. in the didn't they do it in the movies three night three times they did like naughty nineties. Naughty nineties is my favorite. Yeah, that's, that's the, the best, best film part. version. But it's, didn't they do it in two other other films too, or something like that? I can't remember which one. Actually, they they only did uh, who's on first one more uh, one time before that, and it was an abridged version in their very first film. One okay, night, that's in what the I was thinking. yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it ends abruptly, it ends quickly, uh, and then the full version is in Naughty Nineties, nineteen forty-five. Mm -hmm. 
And you actually hear the cameraman laughing if you listen close. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, I'll have to check that out again. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> I guess they yeah. figured they wouldn't care because in a movie theater, you know, the audience is laughing. So it'd cover up. Oh, any, sure. You know, <laughs> and, and they got tired of retaking it because, you know, it's it's like, how many times can you do it? You know, right. But uh, right. they used to they used to mix it up. They they tried to throw each other off. It's fun watching when they were on the Steve Allen show. The very last time they recorded that routine in 1956, mm-hmm. they're, they're playing with each other. They're trying to throw each other off. It's the last time they're doing it. You know, mm-hmm. you got to love that. Now, you did they know it. his last time? I mean, I know that it, it, the, the, the word is and then you can cl- clarify if this is wrong, that. Bud mm-hmm. wanted to retire and Costello wanted to work solo, but is that really correct or did it just kind of drift apart? Bud could not, Bud needed the money, but it was, was broke at this okay. point. The government took everything from him. Lou was already paying them back and he died solvent. Bud, well, they took his house. They took yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so. so, you know, he was definitely depleted, but he was not broke. And he was he was doing okay, but uh, Bud, on the other hand, lived longer. You know, lived 15 years longer, and had to live on Social Security, help from his kids. Uh, you know, he had a nice little house in Woodland Hills. Uh, but no, Bud Bud wanted to keep working. Uh, but he he was nine years older than Lou. He had slowed down to the point where his his he was uh, slurring his words. He was drinking too much. He had epilepsy, and that caused him. Yeah, see, you were drinking too much just now. Uh, he had epilepsy, and he would drink because he was so afraid of having a, a, a fit. Um, he would drink himself to sleep every night. Um, and unfortunately, one night when they were doing a show in Vegas, uh, in between shows, the eight o'clock show and the midnight show, he went and he started gambling. And they start feeding you drinks when you're gambling. Mm. And by the time the midnight sh- show came, he was so drunk that he left Lou looking like an idiot out there. Ah. And Lou said, after this gig, we're, we're, we're done. We're done. I'm going my own way. You go your own way, blah, blah, blah. It was not, it was not uh, oh, well, Bud wants to retire. Da, da, da. Yeah. Bud couldn't retire. Yeah. He couldn't retire. But Lou was the ambitious one. He was the engine of the team. He made all the decisions. Mm. Um, and he was ready to move on. He, he saw the writing on the wall. They couldn't do any more than they'd done, you know? So it was time for something else. It was time for something new. And unfortunately, he didn't have the time to develop what I know he could have done. Yeah. But if you've ever seen his, um, that episode of Wagon Train, that he plays a serious role, mm-hmm. uh, he's terrific. He's yeah, just terrific. I haven't seen it. It's just, I, I've seen the photo in the book, so it shows, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. But uh, that's about it. And it shows him laying on the ground. So that's a more dramatic part. I, I haven't even seen the Bud Abbott one. He's on some General yeah. Electric Theater or something. And it's like, I haven't seen he that plays, one either. He plays, <laughs> he plays a supporting part. He plays uh, the manager of a very nasty comedian played by Lee Marvin. And uh, uh, he's quite good. I, I, I catch him reading off cue cards uh, during his big scenes. But hey, so did Marlon Brando. Uh, <laughs> Can you imagine? Martha Bud Abbott as Stanley Kowalski. You know, it's like, Costello! Costello! Anyway, that's a Tennessee Williams joke. Um, I hope it gets more laughs out there. 
Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, but anyway, it's the, it's the crew around me. They're all laughing. Right yeah. Anyway. yeah um, um, so, <laughs> but anyway, so that's that. That was the breakup. He, it, it, Lou had pretty much had enough. He wanted to move on and do other things. Bud was also very hesitant about uh, learning new material. He, he always is like, why, why can't we just do the old stuff? Why can't we just do the old stuff? Mm. Their new, their new, uh, uh, the review they were playing in uh, Vegas was filled with new stuff and topical stuff. Mm. But Bud, Bud didn't want to learn it. He just didn't want to learn it. He was, he was an old man. You know? <laughs> he was an old man. He was, yeah. And he'd been in the business for years and years and years. So anyway. Yeah. So it, it, interesting of, though that he was older and then he outlived beyond that and he quite, quite by a few years it wasn't like a couple years later it was many many years and it's like wow they were not a healthy yeah. team bud had yeah. epilepsy and lou had a rheumatic heart he had rheumatic fever okay and that's pretty much what killed him so he was know? pretty much destined to have a, a short life even if yes. he lost weight which i think he kind of did shortly before he, did, he would life. go back and forth because he would get sick with, with rheumatic fever there's nothing you can do but lay down in bed that's it and for months, I'm talking about for months. Hmm. So he would lose weight. He would just, he'd stop eating and he would lose weight. And, you know, he'd come back and you could tell he was sick. You could tell he was very ill. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, well, he's, he, he was not a healthy guy. Well, how did they churn out so many films and TV shows and stuff? Or did they just do a bunch of films and then he was sick for a period of time and then do a bunch <laughs> of films? How, how did they manage the breakneck pace? Because, I mean, it's not like every day people do three or four films a year today i mean no. it's been done it like robin williams it, did a it, it few a years where he's doing like multiple films but you know it takes its toll i mean most people do maybe a film a year or a film every mm -hmm. other year you know it's like you know and lou especially worked himself to death i mean he kills himself in these in these movies or the tv shows and especially the live tv shows the colgate shows he's sweating like a pig he's, oh, yeah. he's throwing himself oh, yeah. around the stage he's dancing i mean seriously literally killing himself to make us laugh um but the movies he would uh, it, it was a kind of a hollywood joke i remember milton burl saying uh <laughs> in 1941 he said things are slow in hollywood uh today uh, what was it no things are slow in hollywood abbott and costello haven't made a movie all day um, <laughs> so it was sort of a joke because yeah. they universal uh saw what they had buck privates uh was made for less than four hundred thousand dollars which is nothing uh it made over four million it went it, that was astronomical at the time. It went not only through the roof, but into the stratosphere. In the Navy, their next film made even more money. Universal knew what they had, and they worked them to death. They worked at the very beginning. They were making four movies a year, right? You know, and uh, they're, they're, the way they worked. Uh, first of all, I envied them because I, I kind of work the same way when I do a project. Uh, they get the gist of what they have to do. They look at the script once before they shoot and then they just wing it because they know, they know these things. They know, they know what they're going to say. They know what they're going to do. And Lou would ad lib like crazy. So the directors soon learned that you had three cameras. You had your, your close-up camera, your medium camera and a camera on Lou because you don't want to miss anything. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when he got sick, he would take, he took a year off uh right in right when they were at their hottest mm. um and that's when his baby boy uh was growing up they kind of learned to walk again together mm. you know they learned to walk and and uh 
when he finally was well enough to go do his radio show, that's when his boy uh, got out of the crib uh, by the pool and fell in and drowned. Right. He ended up doing that show anyway because he wanted his boy to hear his voice no matter where he was. That's just a horrible, horribly sad story. Right. Horrible. How many kids did he have? Uh, uh, well, counting Butch, uh, there were four. He had three okay. girls. Uh, two girls before Butch and then Chris later on. Chris okay. was the baby. Okay. Because mm-hmm. okay. I don't yeah. know much about their families. I don't even... Did Bud Abbott have any children? They adopted two. Oh, uh, adopted. Bud okay. Jr. Bud yeah. Jr. and Dickie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And Bud is gone. Bud Jr. is gone. Yeah. He died a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And uh, I know Chris and Patty. Patty, Chris and Patty are his two surviving children, the two two girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're friends. They're they're good people. Okay. So did they talk to you? Did any of these people talk to you in the course of making the book to get like maybe photos or any recollections or anything? Or actually, uh, uh, photo wise, no. There was a, I have a dear friend by the name of Rick Green who just came out with a book about Martin and Lewis. In fact. Um, and he supplied every single one of the posters for the films that we're discussing. Uh, so that's going to be like on the top of every page is going to be one of his photos. And then uh, my writing partner, Matthew, uh, had a friend who had rights to a bunch of other uh, photos. So there's going to be probably two photos to every film chapter. Oh, very uh, but the girls, we quote Chris from her book, uh, but we, I, I didn't really contact her because I really didn't, I, I didn't have anything to ask. To be honest with you, yeah, well, fair I enough. Spoke, because I mean, I you're spoke, basically reviewing the films, right, and uh, annotating yeah, we're them. You know, <laughs> you know. So, but yeah, um, and so. we have the time codes to what we're talking about. We, we oh, put wow. the time codes for the DVDs, so you can go right to that place to see what we're talking about. Um, and uh, which I'm glad I got to talk to uh, uh, Gigi Peru, who who was in uh, Dance with Me. Ed. And she talked to me about work, working with Lou. Uh, I quoted Beverly Washburn, who worked with Lou on uh, the Wagon Train episode. Right. That's who I was trying to say. Like nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, Beverly Washburn. Sorry, Beverly. I met her before, but it's just, like I said, you know, my brain today is a little foggy. But we're going to make it through. Uh, I'll just say for the yeah. sake of it, just to get it on posterity, I, I got my fourth COVID <laughs> shot. And every, every time I get it, it makes me a little brain foggy. And it's like, you know. Uh, and you know, uh, I don't remember soon. names, and I hope that's not a precursor for the future because normally I can oh, remember no. things. You know, and it's like, oh, ah, you know? anyway, <laughs> come, on. Uh, come on, Dave. Who please. are you? Okay. Oh, I know. Remember, you were <laughs> Benny <Murray>. Biffle. <laughs> Just call me Murray. Oh. <laughs> Benny Biffle. Okay. Yeah. I will actually, since I did that as a joke at the beginning, a lot of people might not know about Biffle and Schuster, and so that's another thing that you did for. Um, a, a, a bit of a time unfortunately will ryan who played sam schuster is no longer with us uh but uh tell me what it was like making those films i, I saw them when you were on Stu show stack show that was like the first time uh, i kind of saw that was bits a crazy interview pieces. yes it was <laughs> and then you know that's what, i think that's when i found out about you i knew about will a long time ago because he did cartoon voices and things yeah. like that but you know um, yeah <laughs> and i think i'm friends with Michael's- really proud of the fact Michael Schlesinger what? too. Michael Schlesinger yeah. too. So yeah. Who will, who will be at the Columbus Film Festival with me, uh, introducing Bride of Finkelstein. Um, but uh, these movies. Let me tell you the story real quick. Okay. Uh, basically, on Facebook, 
uh, no, no, Will, Will Ryan and I decided to create a comedy team, a fake comedy team from the 1930s and 40s, Biffle and Schuster. Uh, now, when we created it, this was back around 2009 to 10, around there. And uh, we didn't do much with it. We did a few live appearances and that was about it. Well, down the road, uh, about 2011, 12, Will and I decided to get together and do some publicity pictures as Biffle and Schuster. We didn't have any projects coming or anything. We just wanted some publicity pictures. So he went. To, we went to a friend of his, a photographer, and we posed for some pictures. There was one picture of us bursting through a frame, uh, a picture frame, wearing hats. And uh, I posted that picture on Facebook. Michael Schlesinger, a friend of mine, a, a dear friend, got in touch and said, oh, it's a frame up, right? As a joke. And I wrote, hey, that sounds like a two-reeler title. It sounds like a short film title. It's a frame up. And he wrote, well, why don't you write one? And so I wrote a synopsis wow. where Biffle and Schuster, uh, it's a frame up. They're, they have to deliver a very expensive painting to a society house that is in the middle of having a society party. And of course, you know, havoc occurs. And he said, well, you know what? He goes, I'm really thinking about doing this, but that would be way too expensive. Let me take a crack at it. So he wrote uh, a version of It's a Frame Up as a two-reeler. And about a month later, we were in the studio filming. Wow. Now, Joe Dante was there to, to give us his blessings and be there just to say how great he thought this was. And right away, I thought, wow, this is going to be special. Um, and it was. We, we, we were old-time comedians. My, my fantasy of all fantasies came true. And so we finished that one. And uh, about four years later, he wrote about four more shorts or five more shorts. And we shot all of those at Remnant Studios in Canoga Park. We had the best time. It was five weeks of shooting. The whole thing, I think, ran about $350,000 all told. Oh. <laughs> and this was all out of Michael Schlesinger's pocket. And he wrote, produced, directed. Of course, Will and I added our ad libs and all you know our special places. And we just had the time of our lives. We were, we were uh, living out a fantasy. And to be honest with you, Will, I know I'm speaking for Will as well. We would have done this for the rest of our lives if we could. It was that much fun. And in almost 50 years of performing, that was the most fun and the most satisfaction we've ever had. Wow. So I always thank Michael Schlesinger for that opportunity. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, I just like how authentic it is. I mean, if you didn't know any better, I mean, obviously I do, but you know, it's like you would think it was from back then, you know, just a yeah. nice pristine print of a long lost comedy duo, you know, from the 30s or 40s, like you said, you know, uh, the only thing I can kind of compare it to just because it came to mind is like that uh, silent movie, the artist that won best picture, you know, they did a very good job. Yeah, of recreating, recreating a silent one. movie better than Mel Brooks mm -hmm. doing a silent movie, even though I like that one. Oh, that was yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, worked. I worked for Mel for five years. <laughs> I really? can say that. Okay. Where, where did you? Uh, yeah. What did you work with him on? I don't. Oh, oh, oh the producers. I, I in, that's right. Uh, you know, producers. Brain, yeah. brain. I was, I was in, well, I was thinking films, production. and I'm like, I'm going through my head. It's I was like, in the uh, film too, <laughs> uh, but the later one, not the '68 one. You know, but, I was in the bad. one. Yeah, the bad I was in the lousy. <laughs> well, Mel does direct it, but yeah, I get it. You know, no, <sighs> and you should have seen how depressed he looked on the set. Oh, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> he was—he'd sit there like this.
Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really tough to remake. It's really tough to remake a classic. Like if you're remaking Dracula Dead and loving it, you probably improve upon it. So it's like there you oh, go. I, I think. <laughs> I think if you if you unspooled it in the street, it would be an improvement. You know, Biffle and Schuster meet Dracula. There you go. You know, it's like, anyway, that would be fun. <laughs> But I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Mel's movies. I'm really not. I, to me, they're like they're like overlong Carl Burnett sketches. You Interesting. Know? They'd and be funny they Harvey, if they were. Then they have Harvey Corman in them. Yes. And they have Harvey Corman. <laughs> but seriously, if those movies were ten minutes, they would be perfect. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Just the way I feel. I like roughly half of his films. You know, it's the earlier half, of course. You know, it's so like you turn it off at midway. Well, you kind of. You know. You could kind of do that on History of the World Part One, but anyway, actually, oh yeah. that that is actually the last one I really like. I know everybody loves Spaceballs, but it's like after Hardware Wars, which was a short film and very mm-hmm. well done. You can't yeah. top that on a Star Wars parody, and it's like he, he, Mel tried, but you can I mean, tell he was a little can, late. Yeah, he's a little, a little late, late, but also I can tell he didn't have any feel or love for the material. I mean, I'm sure Mel grew up with westerns. I'm sure he grew up with horror movies with Frankenstein and uh, the Dracula That's one. That's what he grew up on. Yeah, the only reason the Dracula one didn't work, he was just trying to make it modern. He did it in color. He tried to make it like the Coppola one, and he had Leslie Nielsen, who was the comedian of the day, which... Yeah. You know, other than yeah. airplane, yeah. it's really and maybe one of the naked guns. It's a really strange watching him try to mug for the camera. It's, it's like the, the, Leslie, the you're better as a serious actor <laughs> trying not to be funny. <laughs> That's when he was funny. Right, but right. anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I forgot about that. Yeah, you did work for the producer. See, I have little notes here, and you know, like I said, I have oh, little brain fog. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, going back to the book for a minute, just because you know, mm-hmm. just jumping around, but I, you know, I like the book. I want the book. Where is it? Where's my copy? Anyway, it's coming. Uh, it's coming. I know. Uh, you got the great director John Landis to do the forward, and I met him. He did a talk in San Francisco a few years back, and he was just wonderful and just talked about all the films and everything. Uh, so I, did you I meet him, or did you just contact him through the mails, emails, and everything? He was actually uh, a buddy of Matthew Conan, so by my writing oh. club. And uh, when he suggested uh, John, I thought, yeah. I, I, when, I, when I finally contacted John Landis, and introduced myself and we you know wrote back and forth a few times uh i told him i reminded him that i saw animal house i paid to see it 11 times wow <laughs> and he he freaked out <laughs> he was like oh my god <laughs> he goes what are you are you in therapy are you <laughs> but seriously i paid to see it 11 times that's how much i loved that movie to me it was like my generation's a night at the Owl. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, it's an it's excellent like movie. It was, I have to say this since I'm a few years younger, and I'll say a couple things to allude to other things. You said you're born the day of after, uh, after like, uh, no, about Lucas three Stone. weeks after. Three weeks three after. Weeks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was born the same day Walt Disney died, which means nothing. Oh, it's just, you know, 1966. <laughs> yeah. 1966. So, so I'm a few years younger. But uh, okay. uh, the other Not thing, much. as far as um, now, what did you just say? I just kind of lost it already. But um, there's some other connection. Uh, what did you just say? Repeat it. I'm, I'm like, like just now. Yeah. Oh, I said 1966. That's when Walt died. Right. Um, 
And I said, you know, you're what, seven years younger than I. Yeah, Correct? but there was something you said right before that. That's what I was trying to remember. And it's like, it was a coincidence uh, for that, darn it. Uh, <laughs> I said, I died. Oh, I, I know. I, uh, wait, yeah. no. Um, okay, John. Oh, Love Animal House. Animal House. On... We're talking about Animal House. Yes. Okay. All right. Sorry. Times. Yeah. Told you my brain fog tonight. <laughs> This is fun to get it on, on camera, me having brain farts, you know. Because, having a stroke. <laughs> yeah, you won't have this every time on the show. Usually I'm a little more sharp. But anyway, so I am living currently. Eh, <laughs> I am living currently in Springfield, Oregon. Which Illinois? Is Oregon. Oh, Oregon. So this mm-hmm. is. I love Oregon. Matt Groening has said that this is the Springfield that the Simpsons. Prior to oh. this, I prior to this i lived in eugene a few years back and that's where mm-hmm. they shot majority of animal house and so that's right. yeah. and i was mm-hmm. going to say you said this is what triggered it I and mean, this is what it was you, you said you saw it 11 times paid for it 11 times i can't say i did that but it was the very first r-rated movie that i ever saw in the theater wow. and my mom took me <laughs> and so i was like already 14. i was already i was uh 12 i was already a lampoon oh. fan because mm-hmm. uh, I was already a Lampoon fan, and of course I've seen nudity and stuff like that. But honest to God, I didn't know that you could have nudity in anything other than an X-rated film, because I just had never <laughs> seen R-rated films unless they're on TV and they're cut to death. So it's like, right. um, <laughs> when the scene, can. so the scene with Belushi where he's like peering through the window and all the women oh. are, uh, <laughs> all the women are like hitting each other with pillows and everything like that. Oh man. And my mom was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was insatiable after that. It's like, I want to see only R-rated films. Let's go. Uh, you know? And so from now on, here's a, here's a Mel Brooks <laughs> thing that's funny. So a um, few months later, maybe it was even a month or two because of cashing in on Animal House. They reissued Blazing mm-hmm. Saddles and Young Frankenstein together. I had not seen mm-hmm. either of them. Blazing Saddles is rated R. So I was like, oh boy, nudity. An R-rated movie. There's no nudity in that film. And I go, why no. is it R-rated? And it's like, now I know, but I was like, duh. You know, it's like, <laughs> the horses are not wearing clothing, I have to yes. say. Yeah, well, okay. I was so you know. I, as a 12-year-old, I wasn't really uh, <laughs> craving horses. <laughs> Maybe now, but uh, <clears throat> so anyway. Um, but yeah. the cool thing about living here I originally grew up in California, but the cool thing about living here is you get to see all the sites. You can't see the Delta house. It's been torn down, but you can still see all the, um, uh, the, the what are those called? Dormitories that the women use, the other guys yeah. use and everything. Those are still extant. Uh, there's a town called Cottage Grove that's like 10 miles south. That's where they Cottage did the Grove. parade. That's where they did the parade. It's and then, also where Buster Keaton shot the most expensive shot ever in a silent film. Oh, yeah, he did the general there. And I didn't know that until I went the there. Train. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you know how people say, I was today years old when I found this out. So it was like five years ago, but I was today years old when I found out Buster Keaton <laughs> shot the general in Oregon because yeah. I thought he sh- I thought he shot it in Atlanta or something. I didn't know. Or Los Not Angeles. I didn't know, you know. <laughs> So um, yeah. anyway, and then I've been to the uh, insane asylum up in Salem, and that's where they shot One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So it's like it's mm-hmm. lots of film things up here, but uh, one more wow. Animal House thing. <laughs> so I was going to go to the Dexter's nightclub, the, the bar, 
right before mm-hmm. COVID hit. <laughs> and then COVID hit and you couldn't go anywhere. Right. So I finally went about a month ago and took some photos. So you'll see them if you go on my Facebook page, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, and I think I wrote, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, what's his name? I, I can't even think of it. Otis, he loves us. Oh, you know? Otis, yeah. Otis <laughs> so, Day in the yeah. night. You know, and then the other line <laughs> the I love from, stole our dates. <laughs> line and the other line I like is if I was in your shoes, I'd be leaving. What a great idea. <laughs> great idea. <laughs> I mean, so many great lines in that movie. Yes. So, oh, God. Oh. So I'm sure I just, I just love- I'm sure they all saw Evan and Costello, not just John Landis. I'm sure Belushi was a Costello fan. I think he didn't he do Costello once on like SNL way back when in the day. I think he, he did. Might have. I think he, he did once, you know, and they did a yeah, little black and white yeah. bit, you know, and, yeah. but, you know, I don't remember that. I'd have to look it up, but anyway. There, you know who did the best Blue Costello ever was uh, the late great uh, Tony Rosado from SCTV. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say best Buddy Hackett. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Oh my god! You know what I'd like? <laughs> a strawberry ice cream. Do you listen? I, I was the, sitting this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you, have you listened? No, to the, sitting... Okay. You talk. You talk. Okay. I, I was just going to say that. Uh, what should we call it? Um, we were. You know what? I don't remember what I was going to say. So you go ahead. Okay. Uh, have you listened to any of the late Gilbert Gottfried's uh, yeah, podcast? I didn't know if you were ever on. Yeah. I don't think you were, but um, I wasn't on. No. Yeah. No, he didn't uh, live but, long you know, He would always have little <laughs> memorable lines. He'd do old Groucho and says, "Cause Chico needed the money." He'd always say that, and that's <laughs> kind of become a catchphrase. But uh, <laughs> the, the one yeah. he would do is the. <laughs> ending of that Bud and Lou film, which is cringeworthy, where Buddy Hackett's with uh, Harvey Corman is uh, Bud Abbott, and Bud you know, Abbott, he, he yeah. says that thing about the chocolate sundae or something to that effect. You the, know, strawberry, the strawberry, strawberry milkshake. Yeah, yeah, that was the best I ever tasted or something, and you're like, Ooh. you know, I watched that on TV originally long before I saw many Abbott and Costello films, and I go, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know? Oh my god. Oh my god. What, a, what, a, what an introduction. Uh, I was I was in college and I I was cast in the lead in um, uh, the Lion and Winter big drama. I played King Henry the Second. Wow! And we were having our dress rehearsal the night that movie was on, and I I begged my director. I said, "Can we please? uh, You know, I know this role. Please have someone fill in for me. I want to see this." She said, "No, there's no way. You've got to do the show." Blah blah blah. I brought a portable black and white television, plugged it in backstage. And every time I went off stage, I turned it on and I started watching Bud and Love. Of course, I got nothing out of it because, you know, watching it under those circumstances was impossible. So when they repeated it and I finally got to see it, I thought to myself, I wish I had never seen that film. What a horrible, <laughs> horrible film. Yeah. I mean, it goes along with Bob Thomas's book, Bud and Love, which is also quite scurrilous and, yeah. and uh you know, forgot about that. Um, book. I don't have that book either. So it's like, yeah, you know, if they, if they're too far afield on these things, like Three Stooges, I have a lot of their books, but I don't have all of their books because there's a few that are stinkers. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. So you know, the Stooges, the Stooges only had one fair shake when it comes to uh, books. Otherwise, I always was a little embarrassed by the books that came out about them. They were always a little shoddy, mm-hmm. you know. 
yeah. uh, not, not really good four-star, you know, books. But then one came out called One Fine Stooge. Oh, and the, it's mostly the Larry Fine Larry. one. Yes, that is. A yeah, mostly about Larry. Yeah. And that's an excellent book. Yeah. But I'll tell you the truth. That and there's a book by my good friend, Bill Kassara, mm -hmm. uh, called uh, about Ted Healy, Nobody's Stooge. Oh, yeah. And excellent. It's oh. just excellent. If you're a Stooge fan out there and you want to know the real story, get this book. Okay. I don't have that one. I do have I do have the Vernon Dent one, you know, it's like uh yeah, that, that's a pretty good book. I've got that know. one. It's not the best book, but it's I've got the Edgar Kennedy one. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's a good writer. I, I mean, I would say the best three stooges one and it's just because probably my age when it came out and I just loved it is the first version of the three stooges scrapbook you know, that came yeah, out in the early eighties yeah. because I was just pouring over it because back then there's no inter internet. So, and I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know, like, I, I remember when Mo and Larry died um, in 1975 and the articles both did not mention what happened to any of yeah. the other stooges except for Curly. And so I was saying, is Shemp still alive? What's going on? You know, and then I kind of figured out Joe Besser was still alive because he'd done cartoon voices and things like that. But I didn't know anything about mm -hmm. Joe Dorita. You know, and it's like, well, you know, and when did they stop making Stooges? Because then I started seeing like the Snow White and the Three Stooges and things like that. And I go, well, obviously okay. they made movies later like that, which are mm -hmm. kind of scary. But, you know, okay, that, they at that least was, did a, boy, that was it, That was quite one to, to point out, you know. Yeah, out. at least they made color film, <laughs> the you know. And it's like, you yeah. know, but it's like, you know, I didn't even know about things like Coop's tour and stuff. Of course, I have it all now, but you know, back in the day, oh, I do, sure. yeah, you know, but it's again like Abner Costello. It's like I didn't know how I was going to see all these. So, how did you see all of them just on TV and you just marked your TV guide in the old days, or did you manage to get them in the theater or what? Oh, no, no, there was uh, when I was growing up, we had uh, three local stations in New York one was Channel 5, Channel 9, and Channel 11. And Channel 9 had the Abbott and Costello movies when I was really young. And every Saturday afternoon at 10 a.m., they'd have an Abbott and Costello movie and then another one at 2 p.m. So there was an entire year that I did not go out on Saturdays. I watched wow. Abbott and Costello okay. movies. I was obsessed. I loved them. Uh, but then uh, Channel 11 uh, got the package. They, they attained the rights to it. And every Sunday morning, and ask anybody who grew up when I did in New York, uh, every Sunday morning at 1130 till one o'clock was the Abner Costello movie. Mm. So I saw every single one of them uh, either there or uh, CBS uh, had the uh, MGMs and they would show those, you know, Lost in a Harem and right. Abner Costello and Hollywood Rio Rita. Um, so yeah, I got to see all of them and, and, uh, 30 foot bride of candy rock used to show up all the time on ABC yeah. uh, channel yeah. seven. Uh, the only one I did that didn't show up a lot, uh, but they showed up later on was, uh, it ain't Hey, uh, and, um, dance with me. Heather. I didn't see until later. Uh, so yeah, those were the only two. Otherwise, yeah, they were always around. I always had up in Costello and when I was a kid. You know, I'd go out and play. It wasn't, you know, let's play army or let's play boat. It was let's play Abbott and Costello on a boat or let's play Abbott and wow. Costello in the army. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Huh. I was obsessed. So huh. this book is a labor of love. 
interesting mm-hmm. yeah see it was my story my dad who's still around he's 84 now but he grew up with having costello so he'd see them all in the mm-hmm. theater and so he'd yeah. rave about all these things and uh but unlike like since they weren't silent movie stars i couldn't see a lot of stuff like they'd show silent movies in the pizza parlors and stuff so that's why i saw old r gangs yeah uh and straw hat there was another uh one that straw did hat the same thing yeah. yeah and they uh-huh. show old our gangs they show chaplain they show old um laurel and hardy but they tend to show the mm-hmm. silence because you could have them playing in the background with a bunch of screaming yeah. kids you know <laughs> and, yeah but but castle yeah. films had silent i used oh. to collect both oh okay yeah see i never collected uh eight millimeter that it, that always was like it's insane now you look at an old eight millimeter catalog and it's like you get a seven minute film for like and then they were charging like a hundred bucks for them it's like wow yeah you know? and now it you can insane. get eight films for less than 20 bucks you know but <laughs> like we were desperate film. we were desperate these were yeah. like this was gold to us you know yeah. there was this one thing i'm also a monster kid i grew up with the monsters the universal monsters and mm-hmm. all that they're just i'm a fanatic still yeah uh we had a thing uh, I forget the name of it, Monster Scope. And it was this round plastic thing, uh, uh, like a cylinder, uh, that you would place these pictures of the mon- from the monster movies, and you'd place them in these slots, and there were hundreds of them, take you forever. And then you could turn the thing, and you would see movement, you know, from wow. the parts. And if you huh. turned it around, you saw the other side. So it was the creature on one side and the Wolfman on the other, or Dracula on one side or, and Frankenstein on the other. It lasted literally 45 seconds, 30 seconds. Wow. And we were thrilled to have it. Yeah. So, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was the same way. I, they, had, they had this little thing called the Fisher Price movie projector and those little plastic yellow yeah. things you shove it in the back and of course after mm-hmm. you ran it about a hundred times then it broke and you know you'd have to <laughs> but what i did is i pried them open and i i learned basic film editing and i spliced the films together out of those cases very and good but anyway uh but you yeah. know nowadays you know it's like wow you can get everything in blu-ray or streaming or whatever but um everything's available so um, I think the last one I ever got to see is because I think they're the Warner Brothers ones is the Warner Archives. Uh, I never saw Captain Kid for the longest time. And uh-huh. I always saw really awful versions of Jack and the Beanstalk because oh, you know, I think that went to public domain or something like that. And I finally got Both a nice one. Yeah. Well, the other one was in yeah. a nice print on the Warner Archive, but yeah, I never saw it. Yeah. on tv or anything you know well actually um, i'm not sure if captain kid is public domain i know jack and the beanstalk it is that captain one definitely kid. is yeah i don't know about yeah, the other one yeah. i think the other but they're public restoring domain is africa screams that one's always right. the, the public domain one you know it's one of like... my maybe my least favorite I would cost <laughs> but uh uh whatchamacallit a jack and the beanstalk's being restored right now by bob Fermanek. oh very it looks good gorgeous. it'll be out in in july it, yeah. it looks and beautiful. there's moments in that film. I mean, yes, it's a kiddie film, but I liked it as a kid. Oh, it's and it's cute. like, it's yeah. so I mean, it's kind of like when Laurel we were Hardy, kids. A, yeah. When we were kids, when that came on, when Jack and the Beanstalk came on, we, it was just as exciting as when The Wizard of Oz was on. Wow. Yeah. Well, it does the same and thing. And not yeah. just me. I'm talking yeah. about my family. Yeah. Like, black what? and white to color and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I get it. Um, so, you mentioned your worst or least favorite. Probably, is it Africa Screams? Yeah, yeah okay wow okay i don't know if that's my least favorite but you know i think it's probably one of the mgm ones for me but um uh your favorite mm-hmm. what's your favorite Ooh. uh i would have to say i've been me frankenstein 
Wow. Okay. It's, all right. Well, we, I mean, that's we, not surprising. It's a, but you know, I thought, you know, you see them all like everybody, that's like the go-to answer because they don't show them all, all the time. And that's the most. I hate to of, say it because it's so cliche, Yeah. but uh, we have in the back of our book, we have uh, uh, a selection of very, very uh, qualified people to give us their, their favorites, their 10 favorite Abbott Costello movies. I mean, Leonard Malton, uh, Joe Adamson, you know, a lot of, a lot of different, Joe Dante, a lot of different people. But um, yeah, I think that Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is as near perfect a movie as you can get. I, I don't see any faults in it at all. It moves beautifully. You know, let me tell you a quick story. I used to be a comedian on the cruise ships for about three years. <laughs> and uh, I know, and on one of the ships, there was an all Korean crew, right? I mean, in the bowels of the ship. And I brought a videotape of Abbott and Costello and Frankenstein. And I got them to the ship allowed me to take over the movie theater on the ship for at midnight. And I invited all the Korean crew. You never heard such laughs. And they didn't wow. understand a word of it. You never heard such laughter. It was wow. wonderful. And they were so happy just coming up and shaking my hand. Thank you. So, you know, it's like Laurel and Hardy get all the press, but yeah. sorry. Yeah. You know, I, I I compare them also in my book, uh, in the book, mm. uh, I talk about, um, I compare uh, Stan Laurel to uh, Lou Costello, and I just think he's more limited. He's He plays that one character beautifully, mm -hmm. but he wouldn't have made it at all if it weren't for Ollie. Everybody yeah. talks about how, oh, Ollie was so lucky to have Stan. Stan did all the work <laughs> and blah, blah. No, Stan was a failed silent comedian. Mm -hmm. He was getting out of the business. He was he was going to direct I know that, night, but I didn't you know? know he wasn't doing very well. <laughs> and Ollie came along and he became a star, basically. Oh. So, oh. you know, uh, I think and then again, just like Abbott and Costello, I think Oliver Hardy could carry a movie or at least be a great character actor. Yeah. Stan, on the other yeah. hand, I, I always say I think if they split up in 1938, like they were supposed to after Blockheads, mm -hmm. um, I think I think Ollie would have become a, a really great character actor. And I think Stan would have become a director or a gag man, maybe a Columbia, you know, yeah. for Jules White or whatever, like Charlie Chase did. Yeah. Uh, but and I don't Buster think he Buster been... Keaton did that for a while too. Yeah, yeah. as well. And Harry Langdon. But I don't think I don't think Stan would have been a star comedian. Yeah. Do you think that might be why also he's getting up in years that he didn't want to do a cameo and it's a mad, 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 yeah. mad world? Do you think that might be the reason yeah. why? Because he didn't have Babe with him and stuff. So. I think I think he was very loyal to Babe, and he yeah. was very loyal to their image. And I don't yeah. think he wanted anyone to see him as he was. Yeah. At the time, he was sick. He was an ill man. He was sick. That's true. You know. That's true. Like yeah. I don't think he even went to the Oscar ceremony. There's like small film of him holding his Oscar in his apartment or something like that. Yeah. Right? Later, that was yeah. taken later. Yeah. He yeah. won the SAG Award, Lifetime SAG Award too. They had to bring it to his apartment. So, yeah, he couldn't get around. He couldn't get around. Uh, but, you know, he was he was wonderful. Bless him. I love Stan. I love Ollie. I love I love. But my heart is a little is having to sell what you fell in love with first. I mean, for me, it's three stooges. But, you know, it's like for you, was it that was the clincher that you wanted to like all comedy or you just were like open to everything and whatever you saw? I have to say that as a child, I mean, I, I always tell people that I was about five years old when I first saw Luke Costello, and that's when I fell in love with comedy, and that's when I, I knew what I was going to be. I made my decision then, 
and there. And I always knew what I was going to be, always, thanks to Luke Costello. Um, but, you know, my brothers, I had two older brothers. We used to get up every morning and the first person to get to the head of the stairs got to choose what stooge he was for the day, you know? <laughs> And we all we all wanted curly. Dorita, you know, Dorita, Dorita. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the loser, the loser was always Larry. The, the, the last one Aww. was always Larry. I like Larry. No, no, anyway. but I've gained, I've gained an appreciation for Larry yeah. since. Yeah. Believe me, I think he's great. But uh, the Stooges uh, were very, very big with me. Uh, Laurel and Hardy a little later on because I thought yeah. they were too slow. Abbott and Costello. I was in love with the Marx Brothers. I was obsessed with the Marx Brothers. Now that um, one took me longer to get into. I think, yeah. you know, now I love them, but at the time I think, but it might be my dad because my dad, you know, he saw everything in the theater and you got to remember when he saw Marx brothers, he saw them in the forties. He didn't see the, didn't see the, the good, good stuff. stuff, you know, and even yeah. if they reissued it, you know, he still just yeah. thought they were kind of manic, you know, and he, he never really liked manic comedians that didn't have much substance. He, he tended to like Groucho on your bet your life, things like that. He, he thought he did or did he did yeah he liked that yeah. because groucho could just shine and just say things that were kind of funny instead of i, I don't think he was a big harpo or chico fan and i think that's probably the reason why it's like give me groucho well, yeah well, i mean yeah. they're 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 two-thirds of the equation you know yeah. uh but i did there was something about them especially when i was growing up it was all about groucho i mean i loved i loved harpo and chico uh, equally well but groucho was still alive so yeah. i you know i was i felt closer um now that i'm older i realize that as i rewatch the films uh groucho stuff hasn't aged very well uh <laughs> yeah, agree. verbal jokes age verbal jokes how many times can you hear a yeah. verbal joke and yeah. still laugh at it right mm -hmm. harpo on the other hand has become my favorite marsh brother even when you're in the theater and Chico and Groucho's, you know, lame puns or the, or the jokes they're doing when they fall flat, mm -hmm. Harpo is, is they're laughing like it was, you know, it was made yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have to say it's, it's Harpo that has lived uh, on uh, uh, with modern audiences more so. So, than, in saying uh, that, so in saying that, what is your opinion of Love Happy? Oh, it's funny you should say that. I don't know if you read the, my wife's review, my new wife. Uh, I was showing her the Marx Brothers movie she'd never seen, and she wrote a little review on each one. And we kind of agree on Love on Love Happy. We're both Harpo fans, so Love Happy to me, I think, is a, is a, a delightful experience. He's wonderful, yeah. In it, yeah. and he's very funny in it. He's got some great Frank Tashlin gags. Chico's funny in it. Even Groucho, his 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 small amount of stuff is good. I think it gets a bad reputation. I like it. Well, I think I like it's because Groucho, like it Groucho started the bad reputation. He he dismissed it as garbage oh, yeah, right yeah. right away. And it's like, um, but I've always said this after <laughs> analyzing their films: Love Happy is good if you like Harpo. If you don't like, if you like Groucho best, you don't like Love yeah. Happy, and it, it boils right. down to that because that, that was probably the first one i ever saw and it's like you know and there's a there's a book by kevin collier smith i think is his name uh about just about love happy it's a really slim book it's cheap too but it has like oh, lots of stills that. yeah it, it's on uh amazon it's pretty cheap it's, oh, I'm check I, it out. yeah I'm and uh, i bought it because i said wow somebody devoting only to this film that everybody generally regards as awful you know but it's like mm -hmm. i like it well, i know? have a full book i have a full book uh published by McFarland about atoll k oh wow it's all about laurel and hardy's last fall 
everything everything you want to know that one i don't have so i'd be interested in that because i like the the weird flops as much as the hits but i can tell you my favorites you know it's like so so on 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 uh mark's brothers my favorite is still duck soup you know it's like Mm -hmm. it just has to be um uh but you probably won't you probably won't guess and i've been wanting to have you guess you know but you'll go through 37 guesses and then you'll get to it uh that my what my favorite abbott and costello one is it's uh, not Frankenstein, so I'll give you that. Even okay, though I like okay. that, that's a good one. It's not my favorite. Most people say, most people say, when it's not Frankenstein, that it's either uh, Hold That Ghost or Buck Privates. I like Buck Privates Go Home better than Buck Privates, but it's neither of those either. <laughs> or oh, Buck- okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Um, part of the reason I like one it night is- in the tropics. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> Part of the reason I like it is because the lady that's in it teamed up with like every other comedian, including the Marx Brothers. So Martha Ray and Keep Them Flying. Not Martha Ray. No. Um, no. Joan? No. No, no, no. Oh, come on. You know who she is. She, she's in a lot of Marx Brothers films. That'll be the hint. But she was with W.C. Okay. Fields and she was oh, with. Oh, Margaret Dumont. Yes. Margaret Dumont. So, so which film is. Yeah, that's my Little favorite giant. one. You know, after watching, since I got the DVDs of all of them and I got to watch them, uh, you know, I wasn't lazy like your British counterpart. I actually watched all of them. <laughs> and I said. I tell you, you said that, by the way. Yeah. And I yeah. want to ask about him in a second. But, uh, you know, I want to ask about him. Now, anyway, um, <laughs> the reason why I like that one, part of it, the reason is Margaret Dumont, because I just love her and other things. And I said, she's got to be the luckiest lady ever. She worked with every top comedian at least once. Everybody. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even her last appearance, she's with Groucho. You know, it's like, oh, my God, what a what a charmed life mm-hmm. she had. You know? But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. I was a sales rep for years. And just watching him go through the motions of trying to sell the uh, vacuum cleaner. I wasn't selling vacuum cleaners, but it just uh, it just has a personal uh, thing for me. And most people stuff, don't know about that film. They go, what? What? Little I giant. love that film. Yeah, I love that film. When I was a kid, it was one of my favorites because it would make me cry. Oh, it made me cry because he went through such crap in that movie. <laughs> You know, and he's and he's so good at the pathos. He really is. Yeah, I would. I still cry when I watch it. I still, yeah. I still tear up when yeah. I watch. I'll have that to watch movie. it again. But yeah, you, you know, you talk about really he could be, that he would be good as a solo, and he was a good actor. I think that does show those two things to yes. his benefit. You'll see it. Like I don't even remember when I think about the film. I never even think about what did Bud Abbott do in it. I know he's in it, but you know, I have watched plays it two roles. Yeah, he plays two roles. Oh, okay. One is the villain. He plays yeah. the villain of the piece, for one thing, and then he plays the nicer cousin of the villain. Okay. Uh, but um, the thing about Abbott that I discovered as I was re-watching the films, as I, as I was writing the book, is that he didn't mind showing himself in a villainous life light he was the villain in jack and the beanstalk yep. he was the villain in, in mexican hayride mm-hmm. i mean right up to the very end of the film he's trying to get lou to do something dishonest um he didn't mind putting himself in that position and you know i got it handed to him because that shows a complete lack of ego you know yeah. it was sort of like i'm going to go in i'm going to do my best and that'll be back so mm-hmm. god bless bud abbott for doing mm-hmm. that but he is more prominent in their next film which is also one where they separate uh, the time of their lives. Which I, I like that is, one a lot too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing also and, uh, that I noticed—they're both great in it. One thing mm-hmm. also I noticed, and I didn't know this until I started reading about them, 
is like unlike most other of these comedians we're talking about they rarely if ever played themselves they're always like even in uh um frankenstein it's chick and whatever the i forgot you know wilbur yeah Yeah, wilbur that's right and uh it's like they never played themselves it's really weird you know it's like ollie was always ollie and even if it was oliver hardy and uh stanley in like babes in toyland it was ollie d and stanny dumb so it even was not even that far three stooges were always larry and stanley o and ollie o yeah Yeah. they never they never veered from the stooges you know it's like the you know they might have nickname but you know they were always themselves you know and uh and groucho even the Marx Brothers always well no no that's not true he had Otis T. No, Firefly they, and all they that. mostly have yeah the funny name so that's the only yeah. one that you know did and I guess W.C. Fields did to a certain extent the ones he wrote you know but it's like it's yeah, just yeah. funny how many comedians didn't bother to change their name <laughs> they just did themselves I, I, I think I think that was mostly a Hal Roach Hal Roach yeah. mostly had everyone who was in his movies used their own names including the supporting players you know yeah. James C. Morton played James C. Morton. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Abbott and Costello, they were Abbott and Costello in their very first film, One yeah. Night in the Tropics. That's right. And, and they and were they on were the radio Abbott. show and they were on their TV right. show. But, you and know, their TV show. But it's like, but they were you... also, also, you have to understand their first uh, movie for uh, Universal, they were Bud and Lou, Abbott and Costello. Their yeah. last movie for Universal, Meet the Mummy, they were Bud and Lou. Ah, okay. Fact, I mean, I know they did on They used their middle names at last yeah. night. Got yeah. it. Yeah, Bud Alexander and Lou Francis. Oh. And then the other funny thing, and, you know, I know this annoyed Lou Costello, you know, it's like the catchphrase was, hey, Abbott. And then hey, th- there was two things that always said, you know, it's like he's never Abbott in any of the films. Uh, but Abbott and then you know it's like I, I'm sure that annoyed I, I read and I don't know, know if it's like he thought the comedian should have the first billing as much as since he said hey Abbott everybody thought he was Abbott you know just oh, well. yeah that, that seems to me more of a logical reason why kids who didn't think about it would come up to him right can i have your autograph mr abbott more than oh the and comedian should be him. first billing because i mean martin lewis had dean yeah, martin as yeah. first billing so well it was it was a burlesque tradition that the straight man not only got first billing but also got 60 percent of the salary Mm, so bud for the first five years or so got 60 percent lou got 40 Mm. so when they were making big money lou finally turned around and said you know what (laughs) i work harder than he does i'm Mm. the first one here i'm the last one out uh i want 60 percent. and you know a lot of people fault lou for that but you know uh, he worked a lot harder than Bud. He did yep. a lot. Of, you know, you look at the schedules on the films. He was on a lot more days than Bud was. Bud, oh, Bud, Bud was famous for going. All right, I'm going to go and try and find you a job. You do this over here, and Lou would go over and do ten minutes with somebody else. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> so, so I'm sorry. I, he that was very fair to me. It, just like Stan and Ollie. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. Stan made more money than Ollie. Did. But he yeah, did because more work. did Ollie even write anything? I mean, Stanley was always well, writing he would scripts suggest. and stuff like he that. Would okay, suggest. okay, All yeah. Right. But no, he wasn't officially like like Stan was getting paid to be an editor and a, a co-director and a writer and all this stuff. So yeah, he deserved more money. But so did Lou. Lou yeah. Lou worked yeah. five times harder. Yeah. Um, and then there's this stupid story about him wanting to change the name to Costello and Abbott, mm-hmm. which to me is just. it's complete bull yeah um nobody in their right minds you're the top act you're the top movie uh personalities in the world 
yeah. at this point, right? Yeah. So you're going to change the name of the act? Yeah. Not even would do something like that. Yeah. The only case I've ever seen something like that, and it happens to this day, is uh, the Lennon-McCartney credits on Beatles records. Uh, when McCartney does a solo album, he always flips it around to McCartney-Lennon. And then Yoko gets mm. back by dr- dumping McCartney's name and putting her own... <laughs> <laughs> this little infighting on the 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 song credits yeah. and stuff like that but oh well you know but yeah Something it would be career suicide yeah if, if Abbott and Costello did that you know it's like what's this Costello and Abbott that doesn't make sense and no. Abbott and Costello it flows better it, it just really does it, it does just, you know it's just a nice flowing name you know mm-hmm. but you know it's like and then you know even Bud and Lou unfortunately Bud still gets first billing but it sounds better than Lou and Bud so it's just and Lou and Bud it, it just does yeah. it just does <laughs> you know yeah. but sorry, uh, it's sorry Lou <laughs> yeah. uh, in your next life I was showing the I was showing the wife uh, some of their live work on the Colgate show mm-hmm. and uh, it was very interesting because as we're watching Bud is like okay I'm gonna go over here and do something and you do this over here and again Lou does 10 minutes by himself yeah. Yeah, you I was know, watching a little bit of streaming. Himself. Yeah, he, he was like smacking into the walls and everything. And oh, where's so Abbott? Funny. He doesn't he's come so... back for like 20 minutes. And it'll say like one line. It's like, you know, why don't you shape yourself up or something like that? And, and lose like drenched in sweat and water and whipped cream and whatever. And there's feathers floating around. And it's like, Bud, you weren't even there. You know, what's going on? <laughs> Where are you at? Gambling around the corner, taking a drink or whatever? You know, it's like, oh. right, exactly. I was drinking. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, uh, it's funny watching watching the live shows um, because uh, I mean I knew I know how how sick Lou was, mm-hmm. and when you watch those shows, sometimes you go, "Ooh, ah, yeah. take it easy, take it easy." <laughs> you know, you don't have to do that. Yeah. There's one thing uh, that I show my classes. Uh, it's um, slowly I turned. It's the Niagara Falls bit. Right. But he does it with he does it with Errol Flynn. Oh, oh, on, I think I've seen that, but Col- yeah, it's been a while on the Colgate yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. So Flynn, Flynn at the end, and they're friends, you know, they, they, they'd gone to each other's houses and stuff in real life. Um, but uh, uh, Flynn decides he's going to hurt Lou on the way out. He takes his cowboy boot as he's walking out of the scene, Lou's on the floor, and he steps on his shin with a heel. And you see Lou go, it's, it's horrifying, Ugh. you know? But it's live television, and he went on. He had to go on, you know, whatever. But he was—he looked like he was constantly getting hurt, you know. Um, he did all the physical stuff. Uh, it's just—I don't know. He worked. He worked. Worked himself to death. He, yeah. he really did. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and as much as you diss Curly, I was—I would say he did too. You know, it's like even if he had the same shtick over and over, you know, it was—they worked like crazy know, when yeah. they when, when they weren't making those shorts, which yeah. which only took like eight weeks out of the year. The rest of the time they were traveling. They were right. they were living the hard life of a traveling act. It's not easy, you know. Now, now did Abbott and Costello do that too, or did they need to? Did they do live as well as the movies and the radio, or did they cut back on those other things once the films took off? Once films started, because they were pretty much full time employees at, at Universal, they still would appear at benefits, especially. Right. Uh, right. They they almost killed themselves, mostly Lou. Uh, during a cross country, the summer cross country bond selling tour, where they they sold eighty five million dollars worth of war bonds. Uh, do you know how much eighty five million dollars is in today's money? It's maybe <laughs> what two two hundred million, maybe uh, maybe more. 
and uh, whatchamacallit, and the government, you know, paid them back by making examples out of them when uh, they got behind on their taxes. Due That's to, so due weird, to you know, you'd think they would have cut them a little slack for all the money they raised that way, you know, but... It, right. That's what I say. It's like, oh, the, our, our wonderful government. Uh, thank you very much. You know, thank you. Well, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So the horrible. moral is pay your taxes or at least fill out the forms. Uh, fill at out least the, pretend to. Yeah. Fill yeah. out the forms. You know, that's gets you off the hook. Anyway, that's but, right. <laughs> uh, I fill out my form. Very good. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, okay, sorry I wanted to ask you briefly yeah. before we go. You know, your co-author yeah. Matthew Conium. Uh, so he's British. That that's all I know about. No, <laughs> you said he was from no. Bath. Bath. How did you get into contact with him? Is because of the Marx Brothers film, or did you know of him prior to that? Or uh, I've guessed it on the uh, their podcast oh, um, okay. about four times now. So I got to know all the guys. Uh, through that through that uh, uh, page on Facebook and Matthew and I just started chatting um, I was invited onto the, the podcast and you know eventually uh, Matthew asked me to do this book so we've been connected since then mm -hmm. I met him in January in Bath I went to meet my fiance then fiance <laughs> um, and we had dinner with him and his family and they're wonderful people um, Matthew's a very intelligent wonderful writer just wonderful uh I, there's two people i i feel very proud that they asked me to partner with them it's very flattering one is matthew conium who's one of my favorite modern day authors uh and the other one was will ryan who just made me an equal you know and it's and it's it's to me he was a a uh, incredible incredibly talented man uh incredibly intelligent and uh, he took me on as an equal partner. And, and cool. I still, I'm very proud of that to this day. And I miss him so much. You have no me idea. Too. Me too. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, but uh, how did Matthew, he probably talks about it in the book, but the book's not out till November. Uh, how did he become an Abbott Costello fan and even a Marx Brothers fan? You know, it's like, I, it, there's nothing wrong with British people liking American stuff, but a lot of times oh, yeah. they like, their own stuff so that you know they would be talking about you know monty python or whatever you know not american yeah, comedians yeah. you know what what was the appeal or even george formby or something like that what, what's the appeal <laughs> of like uh you know i guess on laurel and hardy laurel was british and charlie chaplin was british so you know there's a connection there but i mean what was the appeal of abbott and costello they're kind of you know, loudmouth New Yorkers, you know, the cliche loudmouth New Yorkers, or the Stooges, and uh, even the Marx Brothers yeah. to a certain extent, you know, so it's like, uh, what, what's, this fasc yeah. what's this fascination with it? Uh, well, it, it, British, British uh, uh, comedy, first of all, uh, I'm a student of that as well. Uh, when I got so sick of American comedy, <laughs> uh, I suddenly found out that there was a, a, a parallel universe going on across yeah. the pond and they spoke English. Yes. So, so I got into it. I got into Arthur Askey and Flanagan and Allen and the crazy gang and you name it, I can go on and on. But uh, they were, uh, the comedians themselves were fans of when Abbott and Costello came to England to play the Palladium in 1950, people came to pay their respects. All mm. the comedians came back to pay their respects because they stole from them. Mm. Uh, Flanagan, <laughs> Flanagan and Allen used to used to do Abbott and Costello bits in their acts. Uh, Morecambe and Wise, oh, yeah. one of my favorite comedy teams from England, 
Mm -hmm. uh, they were Abbott and Costello for the first 15 years of their act. They actually just imitated yeah. what Abbott and Costello did. <laughs> so they were very popular. They were very popular. Uh, um, double acts were very popular in England. Uh, we call them front of, front of the curtain, you know, acts. Mm -hmm. um, and Abbott and Costello killed when they went to the Palladium. They just mm -hmm. killed. Uh, so, yeah, they were very popular. Uh, the Marx Brothers were popular. Groucho went over to do a television show after You Bet Your Life. He went to England to do a show. Uh, Spike Milligan, who I think is one of the handful of true comic geniuses, uh, he loved the Marx Brothers. He loved them. Uh, big inspiration. So, yeah, no, they, the British really do appreciate that they love the Three Stooges. Uh, uh, my wife my wife told me she, her and her, her little brother grew up watching the Three Stooges on television in England. So, you know, they, and I, they, and I know they like like Phil Phil Silvers of all things, you know. They that, love that, Phil that, Silvers. That that baffled me. I know he's in one of the Carry On pictures, but still, you know, it's like yeah. you know they. You know have, what it is? It's Bilko. It's the Bilko show. Yeah, the Bilko but there's more devotion to so it over big. there than here, which is really strange. They love know? it. Yeah, because <laughs> here you you know unless you're like you grew up when we did, you know, it's like if you, you mentioned Bilko or Phil Silvers, most people now they go, who, what? Uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, I have a friend of mine named Lee uh, who loves Phil Silvers and he got me into him more than I originally knew because I tended, when I grew up, you know, I sound like I'm so much younger. I'm not that much younger, but when I grew up, there's very little black and white television. They would show some movies in black and white, but uh, mm -hmm. it's like, other than I love Lucy, and maybe like uh, honeymooners or something like that. Yeah, not yeah. not much uh, black and white shows. So if it was a show that had like uh, like Gilligan's Island, I would say this is like two seasons were in color, one is in black and white. It took me years to see the black and white ones because they never played them. Never saw black yeah. and white Bewitched or I Dream a Genie or any of that stuff because uh -huh. you know color is great in black and white verboten and it's like oh geez show it you know but they would show <laughs> oh, three stooges and they would show little rascals so they did show uh -huh. that black and white but for some reason you know they didn't you, you want to hear something interesting when you mm -hmm. talk about england they love the three stooges they used to show the three stooges they don't know who our gang they don't know what that is our gang hmm. interesting. it just didn't resonate with the with the british kids hmm. isn't that something and I guess that makes sense. You know, it's like, eh, in a way. Know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind I of a very American universal. thing, kind of a rural thing. Maybe somebody who wasn't, if, like, if you grew up in London, it probably couldn't identify at all. But if you grew up out in maybe right. like north of England, maybe you could kind of figure it out. But it, it's still very vastly different. And I guess, I guess that's the case. You know, it's like, um, as much as I say, oh, Avon Costello is such a New York thing. I mean, I guess New York and London, I've never been to London are similar in certain respects you know big city yeah, and yeah. hustle it's bus. very similar yeah it's very so, similar okay the buildings are older and that's about yeah. it yeah otherwise yeah. it's a city it's like <laughs> so one of these days i'll get there but i did go to new york at least so it's <laughs> so yeah times, see, so. at least you got there <laughs> yeah but i've always noticed this on and you could probably agree with me it's like growing up you know it seemed like all comedy was based out of new york and now it's pretty much all based out of Hollywood, at least for the United States. You know, it's like, and, yeah, you know, because yeah. when we were kids, all the comic book publishers are out of New York. Mad Magazine was out of New York. Saturday Night yeah. Live is about the only thing left that's still out of New York. But like everything else, mm -hmm. all the networks did things live out of New York. And then they'd get the kinescopes out here and stuff like that. So, you know, right. um, it was right. very New York-centrified 
you know, society. It was the, it was the well, it was the cultural hub of the nation. Was yeah. New York? You know, yeah. You had yeah. Uh, even like like say you know your show of shows was yeah. broadcast out of New York. Uh, a lot of the Colgate comedy hours were broadcast out of New York. Ed Sullivan was broadcast out of New York. Um, the early days, New York was probably more important than Hollywood when it came to television. Right. Uh, Ed Wynn actually had the first uh, Los Angeles-based uh, television comedy show, variety show. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, New York, it just seems like there's a lot of attitude there. Yeah. Uh, you have to be sharp to survive. Uh, in a place like that and that inspires comedy that just yeah. inspires comedy some of the funniest people i know have come out of new york but yeah. you know the guy i consider the funniest talking comedian of all time was from philadelphia and so which is who i don't want to say oh wc <laughs> fields okay the funniest man i think the funniest talking comedian of all time we WC haven't even Fields. talked about him all that much, but yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I, I, I learned to love his films too. It, it was nice. Oh. One thing I love about DVDs is that they finally did big collections on a lot of these comedians and you could finally just get them for like a song instead of, yeah. you know, because I think they started off even on DVDs saying, oh, let's put out Buck Privates, you know, keeping with Abby Costello in the Navy. And they had separate DVDs for every one of them. And then they said, yeah. Somewhere along the line, some uh, brilliant person at Universal said, this is insane. We got like 50, 40 films or something. It was like, yeah. whatever. I don't know how many you said. Uh, how many were at Universal? Like 30 or something like that? Uh, no, 36. 36. Wait, wait. No, 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 no. Less than that. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. They made three for MGM. Wait. Three for MGM, two for Warner Brothers, uh, one for Eagle Lion, one for NASA. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna say... Uh, eight independent eight films away from universal so okay probably 28 films 28 films okay but but yeah, still you yeah. know when they when they finally put together those dvd collections you know where they clumped a bunch of these films together like an old tv show you know it's like oh yeah. now i can see this stuff you know and i guess in a certain way that they were kind of like a tv show even though they did eventually do a tv show you know it's like yeah. So, you know yeah and well, to me, it's like I, I would just I just got off Amazon, actually, before I was with you here. And I was looking at uh, the WC Fields Blu-rays that are coming yeah. out yeah. and they're releasing them one by one. And oh. I'm very hesitant to buy them because then I know the second I press that buy button, they're going to release a collection. Yeah. You know, and that's what I want is a yeah. collection. And like so, Marx Brothers, yeah. they did do a collection, at least the first five. Thank goodness. Yeah, and they yeah. had extra footage, so it's one of the mm -hmm. few. I'm not big on buying Blu-rays necessarily unless I'm going to get something else, you know. And it's yeah. not, you know, and there's like extra footage. Okay, I'm in. You know, if there's a few, I, I like extras. I'm one of those a guys. Few, like yeah, there's a few commentaries, and it's something new. I'll do it, but you know, otherwise, yeah, yeah. You know, I have a friend who's like total Blu-ray, and it's like. I can't just buy Blu-ray in principle, you know, it's like, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I buy the cheaper format because, you know, my blind eyes can't see a much difference between right. DVD and Blu-ray and 4K unless they really say, we went back to the original Masters and we meticulously cleaned it up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, like, uh, yeah. then, I'll, uh, then, I'll, then I'll get it, you know, and so, yeah, yeah. I did get yeah. that. Uh, uh, Mark's brother. There's some I'll get, you know, I'll see, I'll see uh, an example of what they've done, like say Mystery of the Wax Museum. 
or Dr. X from, yeah. uh, you know, the Warner's collection. They, they, some of the most beautiful restoration work I've ever seen. Uh, I would have paid twice what I paid for it, but I'm an extras person. I love extras. Yeah, I like the too. documentaries yeah. that come with it. I love a good commentary. Have to plug Michael Schlesinger, by the way, because I think he's the best uh, yes, yes. at commentary. I'll agree. Um, <laughs> incredible, just incredible. Uh, but I, that's why I buy uh, either a DVD or a Blu-ray. I like the extras. Mm. You know, I have good copies of all the movies. I, I have every W.C. Fields movie looking beautiful. I yep. don't need them on Blu-ray. Right. I want the extras. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. So we're on the same way. Yeah. Like, um, do you have, because I don't have this, uh, you know, Jerry Beck, right? Animation oh, sure. historian. Well. Okay. Okay. I figured probably has some crossover. yeah a, um anyway he, he, he appeared once on uh stew show promoting the avenue costello tv show on blu-ray so i don't have that yeah. because i'm like you it's not my favorite but do you have it mm -hmm. on blu-ray anyway <laughs> or i have not... the, i have the first season okay. on blu-ray I, okay. I bought that collection no i didn't buy that collection. somebody actually gave it to me oh okay i was uh, wondering if it's worth I'm, getting that's I'm, really I yeah. it. okay yeah. <laughs> No, no, they did a great job. It's absolutely gorgeous and okay. it sounds amazing. And some of the extras are great. And here's the best extra is the fact that they have uh, uh, complete shows without the laugh track. Oh, and they're a hundred okay. and they're a hundred times better. <laughs> so, you know, it's what I always complained about with that show. To me, it always sounds like they recorded an audience at a, you know, like a bowling alley or yeah. something, you know, yeah. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so and yeah. the second season's even worse but mm. no i did want the first season in okay. blu-ray because okay. the first season's a lot of fun it really okay. is a lot of fun. i might invest yeah. in it I, I was just kind of curious about it, if it was worth rebuying it but for that reason it sounds good if there's extra yeah, yeah. Stuff. but bob um, Fermanek. bob Fermanek did a great job great job what struck me on the abbott costello, still, <laughs> abbott and costello <laughs> tv show what's <laughs> it <laughs> what's true <laughs> <laughs> what? No fat, you know what I mean? No fat. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it on that. No, uh, no, uh, the <laughs> ANC show. I'll say it that way. How about that? I never saw the show growing up, ever. The first time I saw, saw it was on DVD. I knew of it, really? but I never saw mm -hmm. any of them. So people were talking oh, about how, how the seasons were different. I think, again, it's an East Coast thing. They did have some shows out here, but they didn't kind of trans. You know, I'm all the way in the West Coast. And it's like, yeah. you know, it was the black and white thing. And it's like they aired occasionally. But I wasn't that much of a rabid fan then to want to see him i figured i might have seen clips of it and it's probably the same come on lou let's go get a job or something and it's like okay you know <laughs> it's like that, you know it's like i'd see five minutes and then i have to go off to school or something and it's like okay yeah. whatever so i probably saw mm -hmm. some of it but i didn't sit there and watch all was there 52 episodes or something like that you know um yeah, yeah. well there was what yeah something like that. yeah but uh the one that struck me is really interesting as a person was sid fields you know the bald guy you know and it's like i go he's i amazing. like him he's amazing yeah i, love I go him. Are you kidding? That's, that's he goes back to he goes back to burlesque yeah. that's where they first knew each other yeah but then uh yeah. eddie Cantor signed him to a personal contract hmm. and had him on his radio show as a character called mr guffy hmm. and he even appeared in uh Cantor's last uh movie for goldwyn it's called strike me pink and sid fields has a part in that that's like 1936 
so uh, what Sid Fields would do, Mr. Guffey was that character. Oh, so now you're saying my wife shouldn't double it up. You know, that horribly impossible person yeah. who does nothing but fight you. Uh, and it, he eventually did that for Abbott and Costello. So he yep. was signed on by Abbott and Costello to write the radio show and appear on it, you know, in, as that character, basically. Yeah. Usually Melonhead, isn't it? Uh, and so, yeah, he was he was associated with them long before the TV show. Yeah. And uh, he's one of the best things about the TV show. Yeah, I think and he's and on he, some of the cold. But you want to hear something interesting? Oh, OK, go ahead. Oh, one more thing before we get off the field. There is a recording. Uh, Bud Abbott was uh, too ill to appear on a radio show with Lou hmm. and Lou and Sid Fields do who's on first. <laughs> wow. And it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> It's not very good. interesting, hmm. but yeah, uh, yeah Sid, Sid also appears on some of the Colgate ones. I've seen that too. So you know, yes, yeah. yeah. I was watching him today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just like oh, his. Your, your, your I like head his is coming through your hair. I yeah. like his voice. His is, and I know a lot of this is vaudevillian type delivery. You have to project. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I oh, yeah. want to get the red from you. You know that type of stuff. <laughs> it's like nobody talks like that. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, why you true. guys. You know, <laughs> you're. Ruining my house, you know, or whatever. I, I don't have lines memorized. Oh, it's funny. He's funny, Mr. Fields. So that was yeah, the, that was the thing that really struck me when I saw it. So I said, I like the the TV show. It's not perfect, but I, I get the purpose. Oh, if it, if the purpose was that uh, Costello wanted to get like pristine prints of them doing their old bits one more time, doing their routine. Yeah. yeah. So and also yeah, sure. there was a there was a there was a more practical reason. Also, he also felt that. He owned the show, but mm -hmm. worked for him during this time. Oh, okay. Uh, and he was he was hoping that if he put these routines on film, uh, uh, on a show where he owned that he owned, he would own those bits as well. Mm. So he was kind of hoping that that's that's what it would be. Unfortunately, those bits were like public domain. Yeah, you know, there was yeah. only one where they had trouble. Where they one one got them into trouble, mm. and that was when uh, they were doing a movie called In Society. And right in the middle of the shoot, Lou went up to, uh, was it Charlie Lamont? I think it was Charlie Lamont, the director, and said, I want to do uh, Flugel Street. And he's like, what are you talking about? We're doing a movie here. You know, you can't just say, I want to do Flugel Street. So they, they contrived a thing where they did Flugel Street. Uh -huh. Now, uh, they called it, they changed the name to Babel Street for this one. And that was because a comedian by the name of Joey Fay uh, claimed to have written that sketch uh -huh. and claimed ownership he had a copyright on it he sued universal and actually got a a, a payment out of them i mm. don't know how much it was but yeah he sued them just because lou had an urge to do that that old burlesque bit that uh joey Fay claimed to own so wow that was the only time they got in trouble very cool okay well I could talk to you for hours <laughs> and yeah, we probably you, would, I, I but you know, it's already been well over an hour. Um, yeah. Uh, let's save it up for another time. But uh, usually at the way these shows wrap up is, uh, you know, plug, plug anything you want to plug, you know, if you want to plug the book, if you want to plug your courses, if you want to plug anything else, uh, hair plugs, actually whatever. actually like to unplug my bathtub, <laughs> you don't mind. It's about to overflow. Uh, and and uh, how, how people can get in contact with you and, you know, things like that. So, you had the floor. Well, it's a bad this the whole no no hitting. Um okay. So uh, sorry, I just had a Jerry moment. Um I'm geriatric. Uh 
So <laughs> um, let me think, what can I plug? The book, of course, is coming out uh, supposedly November 5th. That's, that's the street date. Mm -hmm. uh, we are number one in pre-orders and interest in a book coming out this year about comedians, uh, which we're very happy about. Um, I am teaching classes for a company called Ollie, the Osher Life Learning Institute. Um, what else? Uh, what else am I doing? Uh, Matthew and I are working on a new book, but I can't talk about it yet. That's for the future. And uh, can you at least say, is it about comedy? About comedy? It's about it's it's about comedy, okay, and it's another annot annotated thing. Yeah, very good. I'll leave I, it I at can that. tell you private. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and what else? Do I, am I doing anything else? I am appearing at the uh, Columbus Moving Picture Show at the end of the month. Uh, and in fact, on the twenty seventh. Friday the 27th at two o'clock, I'm doing a seminar about Abbott and Costello, showing clips and talking about them, taking questions. Uh, I'm introducing Hold That Ghost, and I will be introducing Michael Schlesinger, Biffle and Schuster in Bride of Finkelstein. So cool. that's what I got. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And I just got married. Yay. <laughs> a month ago. And look, I'm still happy. Uh, very good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, 3D. Um, so, <laughs> 3D, 3D? Uh, Yeah, wise guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's got to float like that. <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> That's what it's got to do. Oh, God. Only fans know that. Only fans know about the. Mm -hmm. <laughs> why do i know this anyways, why 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 i wasted my life just so i could do a podcast today uh anyway all hey, right buddy, invite invite me again I'd all right to come back. very good and it was a pleasure having you as a guest today nick on the fun ideas podcast and we'll thank see you. you next time thank you for listening and thank you nick santa maria for being my special guest remember you can always watch the video version of this episode on youtube Episode number 166 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.